but that song was actually written by uh, King Solomon, and then he was like reincarnated as Bruce Springsteen or something. He said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, says the preacher. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would give us courage to believe the word, the living word, and also, Lord God, the written word, the scriptures where it's recorded God it seems like whenever I seriously wrestle with scripture it like just terrifies me kills me and sets me free so Lord God I pray that you would help us to believe the scriptures this morning because maybe that would help us to believe you Jesus we love you and it's in your name that we ask that uh, we would preach amen uh, we've been preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, there's a third way. We've preached the last uh, two weeks. I never preached Ecclesiastes before, but I have preached chapter 3 before. I think it may be the most amazing, stunning chapter in all of Scripture. And so I've been um, referring to it, anticipating it, and will refer back to it. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon writes this in verse 18. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them. So uh, we are, we're being tested. So let's have a test, a pop quiz, okay? What I would like you to do is take your S news. I think you all have an, an S news, that's a piece of paper. Take a piece of paper, pull it out, and I want you to write your name in the upper right-hand corner, clearly and legibly, Alan, do it, and then I want you to list the Ten Commandments in order, okay? The Ten Commandments in, in order. Do, 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 You're not doing it. And I, I, mean, I know, okay, I, I understand. It's because you're saying, hey, Peter, it's not about the law. We're not saved by the law. We're saved by, by faith. And so this is what I'd like you to do. Uh, on your piece of paper, I'd like you to write an essay, okay? Uh, describing three things you did this week which manifest or demonstrate your faith in the beautiful grace of God, okay? And then, okay, okay. And then you can hand them in after the service and we'll all get back together and uh, we'll judge them, all right? We'll judge them. We'll have a... We'll have a contest. 
Now, now you know, in the Bible, um, goodness and beauty are almost like interchangeable terms. So we'll have a goodness contest or a, a beauty contest, or we'll call it a beauty pageant, all right? We'll have a, we'll have a beauty pageant. You could uh, win the beauty pageant, and then I could sing, there she is, Miss Sanctuary. There she is, your ideal. There she is, walking on air. She is fairer than fair. She is very nice hair. She is, Lori, your Miss Sanctuary. You get, you get the idea. And here are some ideas that um, maybe you could use for the talent portion of our beauty pageant. Okay? All right. The moment we've all been waiting for. The talent competition. It is with overwhelming pride that I introduce to you contestant number six, who is also the president of her class, two years running, an honor roll student, and the new president of the Lutheran Sisterhood Gun Club. Ladies and gentlemen, Rebecca Ann Lehman. You know what? The rumors are true. I do have a special fella in my life. And if nobody minds, I'd like to sing a little song just for him. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. Finally, the moment that I know I've been waiting for, with a scholarship of $500, courtesy Lehman Furniture, and an all-expense-paid trip next weekend, when she will be competing for the title of Sarah Rose Cosmetics, Minnesota American Teen Princess. Our new Mount Rose American Teen Princess is Contestant number, you know, it's my daughter, Rebecca Ann Lehman! <laughs> American teen princess. 
You know, I, I think the problem with beauty pageants is that they can just often be so ugly, you know? And, and now, if you've been in a beauty pageant, I don't, don't think I'm picking on you because the whole world is a beauty pageant. If you're a student, you're in a beauty pageant. And A is beautiful, and summa cum laude wins the pageant. If you're in business, you win with stock options and uh, bank accounts. If you're a mom, you win with beautiful, well-behaved children with strong teeth. Sport is definitely a beauty pageant, and Jesus can help you win. Jesus can make your family beautiful. Jesus can make your finances beautiful. Jesus can make your mind beautiful. Jesus can help you win. You know that. And also, I gotta thank the most important person in my life, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because I could not do this without him. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, everybody. Oh, Jesus, he has risen. Uh, no, 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 not, not really, just a quick visit. So, uh, hey, everybody take a seat. Go ahead, take a seat, chill out. Uh, first of all, you're welcome, all right? Yes, I, Jesus Christ, am indeed the reason you've won your past six football games. So Jesus just spends his time helping people win football games? Well, you know, here's the thing. I, uh, you know, I just go where people call me the most. You know, nowadays, that's a lot of football games. Uh, also the Country Music Awards, you know, I decide all those. Uh, I'm right there at any uh, black event where food is served. Hey, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm forgiven. All right. Uh, <laughs> See, the point is, you guys got to help yourselves a little. I mean, can you do that for me? Yes. yes. Of course. So, uh, anywho, I'm off to a beauty pageant, okay? Uh, best of luck next week. I'll try to watch. <laughs> no, I, I think it's great that athletes would thank God for their talent. But thanking God for helping you beat your neighbor is a little bit weird, don't you think? I mean, making yourself beautiful at the expense of another person's beauty just isn't that beautiful. And using Jesus to glorify yourself, that is, make yourself beautiful, doesn't seem to help. In fact, maybe that kind of even makes it worse. Maybe we don't understand what real beauty is. I read about this cosmetics company that held a beauty contest by mail. People were to mail in photos of women that they considered beautiful and then a letter explaining why. A young boy from a broken home wrote the following letter. A beautiful woman lives down the street from me. I visit her every day. She makes me feel like the most important kid in the world. We play checkers and she listens to all my problems. When I leave, she always yells out the door that she's proud of me. I hope I have a wife as pretty as her. So the president of the cosmetic company, he read the letter and then he asked to see the woman's picture. His secretary handed him a photo of this smiling, gray-haired, toothless old lady in a wheelchair with a twinkle in her eye. The president of the company, he smiled, and then he said, we can't use this woman. She'd show the world that our products are not necessary for making a person beautiful. I think that's because the greatest beauty is making other people beautiful. The most beautiful man I have ever known was my dad. I think that's why I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to make myself beautiful by making others beautiful. In fact, I wanted to be the very best at it. I wanted to be the, the most humble. I wanted sacks full of 
letters from grateful, underprivileged kids. I, I wanted and I still want to make myself more Christ-like than anyone. And, and I use Jesus Christ to do that. In other words, I want to win the beauty pageant called religion. <laughs> Which is probably the ugliest beauty pageant that there is. Not true religion, like Kierkegaard spoke about last week, but, but human religion. You know, if you read your Bible closely, you'll see that religion is the very thing that got Jesus crucified. And nothing is more ugly than that. Well, Solomon, Solomon did write this. He did write, God is testing us. And like it or not, our world really is a beauty pageant. It, it, it really is. So how do we pass the test? How do we win the pageant? Uh, last week we saw that Solomon tried to make himself good by taking the good. Remember, consuming the good. And it was, it was vanity and striving after the wind and it got ugly. And then Solomon tried to make himself good by taking knowledge of the good. And that was vanity and striving after the wind. And it got even more ugly. And then he saw the good, the beautiful. And now he writes Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this is verse 1. For everything there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven. Now that's fascinating because that means that God like created time for a reason. I wonder what it, what it is. A time to be born and a time to die. So did God make death? Genesis 1 says that everything God made was good, that is beautiful. I don't think God made death because there's nothing to make. Death is an absence, uh, not a substance. Death is the absence of life. God didn't make death. But he made space and time for death. And death is ugly. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Scripture says that weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And you remember Jesus said that he would turn our mourning into dancing, time, time to dance. Some commentators say that's a reference to making love. So I'm cool with that. Anyway, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to, or yeah, a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time to war and a time for peace. A time to, to love and a time to hate. It sounds like he's saying uh, that, that there's a time for the absence of love. A time for the absence of peace. A time for war. God is love and Jesus is the prince of peace. The absence of love and the absence of peace is like the absence of God and his word. And I think that's evil. Choosing evil is sin. And God doesn't sin. But he makes space and time for us to sin. Space and time for us to reject love 
and his word. Space and time for us to crucify the Prince of Peace. Space and time for us to do the evil business that Solomon talked about, remember, in chapter one. Space and time for us to choose the ugly and make things ugly. But can we choose to make things beautiful? I think that's what Solomon's asking in the next verse. What gain has the worker from his toil? Can he toil and make things beautiful? What can we do? Then I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That's the evil business that he mentioned in chapter one, the business of choosing nothing. Next verse, he, God, has made everything, has made everything beautiful in its time. If God has made everything beautiful in its time, what can we make beautiful in our time? See, it's really a nice thought that God makes things beautiful, but, 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 but dang, that's a hard pill to swallow if you, if you really think about it. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Everything, even things that have not yet been made in time, he has already made beautiful in time. Well, if God has made everything beautiful in its time, what's the purpose of our time? What's the test? I mean, God's not wondering if you can make something beautiful in time. God has made everything beautiful in time. Everything. Now, I, I don't, some of you remember this, but that's actually what we learned in Genesis chapter one, right? The six days of time are, are like, our six days of creation are like all of time. At the end of the sixth day, God looks and everything that he's made is good. That, that also means beautiful, very beautiful. And he rests on the seventh day because all of his work of making things beautiful is done. But look around. Not everything is beautiful. No, no offense, no offense. Not everything's beautiful in our time, so obviously we still live in the six days of, of, of time. Before Jesus was crucified in, in the garden, in John chapter five, he says this, my father has been working until now. That means he had never stopped working up until that point, which means it wasn't yet the seventh day, which means God was and maybe still is making things beautiful in time then the seventh day must be like the end of time and the edge of eternity well on the tree in the garden on calvary at the end of the sixth day jesus prince of peace and the word of god through whom all things are created he cried out it is finished now if you've been around a while you've seen this diagram a bunch of time and, and hopefully you understand it there's a timeline, the days of time we live in, but the number seven is all around it. Um, I'm just pointing out that eternal beauty, the seventh day, is not stuck in time. But the seventh day like encompasses time. The beautiful day encompasses time and it invades time at a tree in a garden called the cross. At, at the tree, we did the evil business and God revealed his good business. Through Christ, God gives us life and that life is eternal. It's unfading beauty. So on one side of the cross, it is not finished. And on the other side of the cross, everything is beautiful. Verse 11, he has made 
everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we have eternity in our hearts with time on our hands and a fog in our head. Eternity in our hearts, eternity. We, we see it on a tree in Calvary. And God breathes it into our hearts in a garden in Genesis. In the Hebrew mind, eternity is the pre- it's like the presence of all time, the fullness of all time, where you're no longer stuck in time, but like the masters of time. Remember C.S. Lewis, he said that, that we're all, that he pointed this out, that we're all so amazed at time, and yet we live in time, which is weird. Amazed at time. I mean, like, you're always saying stuff like this, or maybe I am. I'm, I can't believe I'm 55. That was just a, it was only yesterday. I was a child. Amazed at time, and yet we live in time. We're like fish, constantly amazed at being wet. That would make no sense, says Lewis, unless that fish were maybe one day destined to walk on land. Maybe you're destined for eternity but created in time. Or, or maybe you're like a creature of eternity, but revealed in time as you're created and constructed in time. Whatever, a lot of philosophy. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat, enjoy their sandwich and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. Take pleasure in all his toil. Literally translated, see good in all his toil. That is God's gift to man. Not make good with his toil, but see good in his toil. You know a woman cannot make a baby with her toil? but she will come to see a baby in her toil. Maybe you're giving birth to something or someone with all your toil. Also that everyone should eat and drink and see good in all his toil, that is God's gift to man, that thing or person that you find in your toil. Uh, next verse. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Forever is the same word that gets translated eternity in verse 11. So whatever God does endures forever or to eternity. And what does God do? <laughs> he makes all things beautiful in their time. And those beautiful things endure forever. They are eternal. So the ugly is temporal in time. The beauty is eternal. The weeping is is temporal, but the laughter that it turns into is eternal. The mourning is temporal. Mourning, like that kind of mourning. The mourning is temporal, but the dance it turns into is eternal. The doubt is temporal, but the faith is eternal. Despair is temporal, hope eternal, hatred temporal, but love eternal. Sin temporal, but grace eternal. Death temporal, but life eternal. Like there's an eternal harvest of beauty grown in the temporal broken soil of this fallen earth. The ugly soil of this world produces an indestructible harvest of beauty. And that must, means there must be like some kind of eternal repository for all this beauty. 
indestructible beauty. And, and, and that must be the seventh day. That must be God's rest. That must be heaven. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And yet God is revealing it in time. God is revealing eternal beauty in time. So time is like a stage for eternity. The revelation of beauty, a pageant, if you will, but not a contest. Verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever or is eternal. Nothing, listen to this, nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. And what has God done? Make everything beautiful in his time. Which leaves how much for you to make beautiful in your time? Nothing. And if whatever God does doesn't change, God did not do the ugly, right? Because the ugly changes into the beautiful in time. And the beautiful always was and always is. So maybe the ugly is like an illusion in time caused by believing a lie in time as if the ugly were a shadow cast by our faithlessness in, in time. Whatever the case, doing the ugly is like doing the nothing and beauty is timeless. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does is eternal. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. What God does. So this is really important. Ask yourself this question, okay? I really want you to ask yourself. Are you something that God does and has done? If so, you are eternal, indestructible, and absolute beauty? Or are you something that you do and have done? If so, you are like an ugly illusion. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just, I'm telling you. Anyway, that's according to Solomon. I perceive that whatever God does is eternal. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. You, you, you get that, right? That which is, is eternal. That which truly is, is not subject to time. And now listen close to this, next line. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Literally, what has been persecuted and driven away. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. Literally, uh, the perished. You, you know, you can only be lost if you once belong. And if you belonged to God, you eternally belong to God. So the loss must be like a piece of eternity 
trapped in time or the illusion of time and Jesus is the will of God and the truth of God, that, uh, the truth that is God who, who descends into time and finds the lost. You know, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And scripture tells us he, he does not change. I came to seek and to save the lost. He won't stop until all that are driven away have been made beautiful in their time, their time. It may be different than your time but they still have their time in God's eternity. So what did we learn? God is the creator, God is the savior, and God is the doer of all things. It's like Julian of Norwich said in her vision, sin is nothing, God does all things, God is the only doer. That's freaky, right? It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, love God is love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if you do a real thing, it's love in you actually doing that thing. God is love and God is spirit. God is wind. You're no longer striving after the wind. You're being driven by the wind like a, like a, like a sailboat on the lake. You're constrained by the wind, constrained by love, like a dancer constrained by the sound of the greatest music. It's like Jesus, Prince of Peace said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He said that, okay? Solomon, Prince of Peace said this, God has made all things beautiful in their time. Nothing can be added and nothing taken away. So God does everything that's anything. And so you, you might ask, well, if a person actually believed that, crap, why would they do anything? If you really believed that there was no beauty that you needed to make, there was no beauty pageant that you needed to take and win. Why would you be beautiful? Why would you do anything? You ever met a two-year-old? Do they do things? Yeah. Are they beautiful? Oh, yeah. Now, there's some ugliness, I know, but there is this outrageous beauty beyond my ability to describe. <laughs> I remember just being utterly amazed at this outrageous beauty in each of my kids when they were about two years old. I mean, I wanted to write down every word they said. I wanted to make a whole movie of everything that they did. They were absolutely stunningly beautiful yet they didn't try to be beautiful. They were unaware of their beauty or the weight of, I felt the weight of their beauty, but I don't think they felt the weight of their beauty. They were unaware of their beauty or the weight of their beauty, so what did they do? Well, they just enjoyed their beauty. And they loved to display their beauty to me. They loved to sing for me, to dance for me, draw pictures for me. Their life was like a beauty pageant for me but they never tried to make themselves beautiful. They didn't have to be beautiful. They just were beautiful. In other words, their beauty was free. I have a picture of Elizabeth and Becky. Becky's probably about two in that picture. You know, maybe you can't make yourself beautiful. You can just be beautiful. 
Let me put it another way. Maybe you can't make yourself good. You can just be good. Well, there came a day when they like covered it up. They wrapped it in fig leaves. They lost that outrageous, unadulterated and free beauty that was themselves. They, they lost beauty when they gained knowledge of beauty and began to try to make themselves beautiful. You know, there are several places, or at least a couple in the Old Testament, where it becomes clear that little children don't have the knowledge of good and evil. You see, that means you were a little child, right? That means the garden story is your story. And at one point long ago, you took the fruit of the knowledge of beauty. Well, each of my children at some point gained the knowledge of beauty and began to strive for beauty. In other words, they entered the beauty contest or pageant that we call the real world. When they entered the beauty pageant, they covered up that free and outrageous beauty that they had as a child. They, in other words, they judged their beauty and they no longer simply enjoyed being beautiful. Uh, Beautiful. They, they sang, but not for the joy of singing. And they began to sing in order to get a grade or because they had to at a church performance. And they began to dance because they were in a class and, and got approved for doing a good dance. If they put on a beauty pageant, it wasn't to enjoy their beauty, but to compete for beauty and win the pageant. Maybe that's why we have such a hard time with beauty pageants for little girls. because it destroys their beauty. My children lost beauty when they felt responsible for beauty. Maybe we all did. They lost it, or better, or better yet, this is what I believe, they covered it up. Actually, I know it's still there, because beauty is indestructible. And I'm their dad. I've seen it. Well, Jesus said you must become like little children to enter. That means you must lose something to, to enter, it seems. One day, you know, we will be like little children, yet not little children, for we will know something little children don't know. We'll know the weight of our own beauty, and yet we'll still be able to dance because we'll also know that beauty is a gift. In other words, it's free. We'll know grace. Verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. That is, everything in this world is like a, a mixture of beauty and ugliness, or righteousness and, and wickedness. I said in my heart, says Solomon, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Literally, there is a time for everything, and every deed is there. So there is like this eternal moment, I think we call judgment. A moment when all time is judged by eternity. A moment in which all ugliness is exposed. All beauty is revealed. And all things are made new. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them. That they may see. Now, I, I can't even begin to tell you how big I think this is, okay? This is just enormous. 
God is testing us. But not so that he might see something. Like who remembers the Ten Commandments and can write them down on a piece of paper? Or who has sufficiently beautiful faith, which which to win the beauty pageant? Or who deserves to be saved? The purpose of time is not to inform the creator about his creation. God does everything. God knows everything. God is not testing us to learn anything. God is not testing us in, in order that he might see. God is testing us in order that we might see. God did not put the tree in the middle of the garden in order that he might see something about us. God put the tree in the middle of the garden in order that we might be see something about him and us. Solomon writes, God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. They themselves are but beasts. Many of you have, like me, you've, you've wondered, God, what's my problem? People come to me as a pastor and they say, Pastor, what's my problem? Well, here's the answer. You're a butt beast. Verse 18. They themselves are butt beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. A man has no advantage over the beast for all his vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. Like Abraham said to God, I am but dust and ashes. A butt beast made of butt dust that returns to dust. And you need to see it. For some strange reason, we ourselves cannot make beauty. We cannot even preserve beauty. <sighs> glory days. Oh, they pass you by, glory days. My father was the most glorious, beautiful man that I've ever known, and I watched him turn to dust. This is his dust. My dad made this bag of dust. Like every time he chose to consume life, I'm talking about food. I mean, it's really kind of shocking to think about, isn't it? But whenever you eat food, you're eating life that's died. He consumed life and made this body of dust but God used this body of dust to make my dad my real dad the true Dan Hyatt eternal indestructible and glorious in the heavens the seventh day you know my dad recognized beauty in other words, he loved love from his bag of dust. In his bag of dust, he loved love because love had loved him, and so he loved. He gave his life away, and now he's find his life, and, and it is absolutely glorious. He's the new Jerusalem, and she has the glory of God. That's what the Bible says, Revelation 21. Dad knows the good. He knows beauty. Now, I should tell you, I got nothing, nothing against beasts. 
But most beasts, I don't think, really recognize beauty, nor do they have eternity in their hearts the same way my dad has eternity in his hearts. I mean, if you took your, your dog to the Grand Canyon, she would sniff around the dumpster and would not even notice the gorgeous panorama stretched out before her. We have no advantage over the beast, and yet God puts eternity in our hearts, and God is making us beautiful in time. And maybe that's the point of this beauty pageant called time. Number one, that I would see beauty. Number two, that I would see that I myself am a beast. But number three, God is making me beautiful in time. So number four, at the end of time, I will know my beauty is a gift. I am beauty in the beast a beautiful creation. At the edge of eternity, at the judgment of all time, at a tree in a garden, I will see I am created by amazing grace and thus rejoice in myself, his beautiful creation. But hey, what if you really did win the beauty pageant? I mean, what if you won the test, the contest? What if you wrote down all the Ten Commandments? What if you wrote the essay that was judged the best of all the essays in this room? I pointed you out and I said, there she is, Miss Sanctuary, there she is, your ideal. How would that make you feel, Lori? How would that make you feel? A little embarrassed, because you'd think, I don't know if that's true. Maybe a little bit nervous, a little insecure yeah you know if I think I preached a beautiful sermon I'm really thrilled and then almost immediately I'm terrified because I think to myself I can't do that I can't maintain that I cannot be responsible for that beauty so if a sermon is ugly I feel awful and if a sermon is beautiful I feel terrified you know that feeling Now contrast that feeling with the feeling you get when you see a great movie or you hear a beautiful song or you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon. There's a difference, isn't there? You know what the difference is? In the first instance, you observe a beauty that you think you made. In the second instance, you observe a beauty that you know you did not make, you can only enjoy. Well, what if God is making you beautiful? And I don't mean kind of beautiful. I mean absolutely, profoundly, astoundingly beautiful. How are you going to enjoy the glory of your own awesomeness? It's no wonder that beautiful people like Marilyn Monroe or Whitney Houston or Brangelina (laughs) have such a hard time resting in their own beauty. How are you going to enjoy the glory of your own awesomeness in heaven? St. Paul wrote this. This slight momentary affliction prepares us for an immeasurable weight of glory, beauty, beyond all compare. How are you gonna enjoy the glory of your own awesomeness or the glory of anybody else's awesomeness? If I think that I'm a contestant in a beauty pageant responsible for my own beauty, I'll stress over my own beauty and you know what I'll do with your beauty? I'll hate it. 
I'll smile on the outside like a good contestant, but hate beauty on the inside. I'll hate beauty. And what is beauty anyway? Solomon keeps writing. All are from the dust, and to dust I'll return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I, I saw that there was nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that's his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Who? Well, that's where you and I have seen something Solomon had not yet seen. We've seen beauty himself. We've seen the end of time. We've seen the one who died and rose again. All space and time is a stage set for the revelation of him that we might see him and he is beauty. You know, it was religious folks trying to win the beauty pageant that grew jealous of his beauty and so hated his beauty and therefore took his beauty on the tree like beasts, making themselves ugly as beasts. It was, it was those religious uh, folks that, that crucified him. Humanity tried to take his beauty and yet he gave his beauty and that's the essence of beauty. Giving beauty away. And he really gave it, not just to get it, he really gave it. He cried, Father, forgive them. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For he really bore our sin. He really entered our place. He really entered into our destruction and gave us his beauty. Then he cried, it is finished, and there all beauty is finished. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell writes Paul, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. It, Paul says this too, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him above all things, glorified him, that is revealed his beauty, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Through Jesus Christ and him crucified, God gives himself away and makes all things beautiful in time dad me Barry Chris Fran you all of us even those who could not keep themselves alive even the ones that go down to the dust they bow to him in Psalm 22 even the lost those that have been driven away and persecuted he pursues and so this is the winner of the beauty pageant the one who would choose to lose, that all might win, that all might be beautiful. And it's necessary that you see him. This is the purpose of space and time. This is why you're being tested, so that you would see him passing the test that you might see him crucified by you and for you, that you might see that you're a beast and he is the beauty, that you might watch him give you his beauty, that you might be filled with beauty in the very image of God, a creature of unspeakable beauty and yet able to bear that beauty and delight in that beauty because you know that that beauty is grace. God has done it and it cannot be taken away. See, with these slight momentary afflictions, 
with all of these trials and testings, God is giving you yourself. Like you're giving birth to yourself, your true self. He's giving you yourself. And God is preparing you to enjoy the gift of your own awesomeness and the gift of everybody else's awesomeness. That is Jesus in in everyone. Heaven is this ecstatic, wild, and endless dance of shared awesomeness. And I think we call it love. God is love, and love is beauty, and we will all be beautiful and giving our beauty away and receiving beauty, circulating. It begins here, you see, when we stop trying to make ourselves beautiful and begin to see beauty and trust beauty in us beauty is grace in flesh beauty is Jesus in his dancing body one of my favorite movies of all time is Little Miss Sunshine if you watch the movie you know that in the movie every character is trying to make themselves beautiful and failing miserably mom dad grandpa uncle Frank Dwayne and seven-year-old Olive, who happens to qualify for the Little Miss Sunshine beauty pageant. Because of finances and circumstances, this whole dysfunctional family drives across the country in an orange VW van, along with Olive, to enter her into the pageant. Her grandpa teaches her a dance routine along the way and then dies of a heroin overdose before they get to the pageant. No one bothers to check the dance routine that Grandpa teaches Olive before the pageant. But, but when Olive starts to dance, they realize that, yeah, they should have. <laughs> they realize that Olive will lose and they each choose to lose with Olive. And that's how each and all win and become Beautiful. Okay. Um, I'd like to dedicate this to my grandpa, who showed me these moves. Oh, that is so sweet. <laughs> is he here? Where's your grandpa right now? In the trunk of our car. Okay. Well, take it away, Olive. Ready? <laughs> 
<laughs> and so uh, the dance starts here. For on that ugliest of nights, the beautiful one, whom the world thinks is a super freak, but we know is far more than that. On that night, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Drink of it, all of you. And uh, for thousands of years, he had been telling them, listen, the life is in the blood. Drink it. God did not do this to find out who you are. God did this because he knows who you are. You're his body and his bride. And it's time to start dancing. We love because he first loved us. And in this is love. We come to see love when, when we see that we are but dust, but beasts, and yet he pours into us his beauty. So come to the table, beautiful ones. Amen. Oh, I will see. God, we confess that for a long time we've been singing an old song, the old song that this world is singing, but we thank you that we will sing a new song. And Lord God, I think maybe the words of both songs may be just the same. The difference is who we're singing them to. So God, I confess that I sing for people's approval. I sing to make myself beautiful. I sing to be judged by the people of this world, and I judge myself. Lord God, I thank you that you make me beautiful. And because of that, I pray now that I would sing. And it would be a new song. Because, Father, it would be a beauty pageant for you, not in fear and anxiety and insecurity, but in confidence that my Father loves me. And so, Lord God, may we sing your new song. May we see that you are beautiful. And may we see that you make us beautiful. And Lord God, I think when we see that, we will live beautifully, won't we? And we will live free. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Jesus' name, believe the gospel and be free. Amen.